Now, we had a couple of calls last week on the show, you remember, about uh, immigration numbers. You know our go-to on these issues is Abul Rizvi, former Deputy Secretary of the Department of Immigration. The, the first goes back to a call I took very early Friday morning about those people that are now going to move from the temporary protection visas and if everything checks out, they'll become, you'd imagine at some point, uh, Australian citizens or, or residents, call them what uh, what you will, and that will be uh, that will enable them then to have uh, family migration rights available to them, as uh, as well as a whole range of other things. So I just wanted to clear up that, and then there's a a visa lottery to talk about with a bull. Anyway, he's on the line. Greetings, hope you're well. G'day, Luke. So let's have a chat about these uh, nineteen thousand people, roughly. Who'll uh, who'll then progress from the temporary protection visa? What sort of visa do they get, or do they become Australian residents? What happens in the short term? They get what's called a resolution of status visa, subclass eight five one, which is a permanent residence visa, and that enables them to remain in Australia for as long as they wish, and eventually be able to apply for citizenship. Until then, are they able to bring family to Australia? They are able to sponsor their dependent spouse and their dependent children. So the children have to be under the age of 18 and they can bring in their spouse. Outside that, it would be very difficult for them to bring many other family members to Australia. If they try to bring their parents to Australia, they face a queue of over 140,000 people who are in front of them. Uh And there's a cost involved, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. The cost of the parent visa is huge. There is no way someone who's not well off could afford to sponsor their parents to Australia. Right. The 19,000 people that we understand have been here working, uh, paying tax or have started a a business. How do we know that they've been working or or starting a business? Oh, because um, many of them have to report what they're doing whilst they're on the TPVs. Many of them have to submit tax returns. From those tax returns, we know what levels of income they've been earning and what taxes they've been paying. Okay. Last week, we had uh, some news break that apparently the Navy was sending extra vessels to patrol Australia's north. I assume that's a safety first um, project rather than a, a real fear of, I don't want to call it an armada, but a whole bunch of people trying to get here. Uh, via sea. What's your take on all of that? Yes, that'd probably be a standard safety precaution. I don't think there'd been any increase in attempts to come to Australia by boat that I'm aware of. None of them actually been reported. We need to remember in this context that we haven't actually had a successful boat arrival since 2014. So it's nine years since we've had one. And I would be happy to bet with anybody that over the next six months we won't have a single boat arrival, but we will have many, 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 many multiple column inches of reports on boat arrivals. <laughs> at the same time, yep. at the same time, yep. I would be happy to bet that between 8,000 and 15,000 people will arrive by air and apply for asylum and no one will write about them. Now, that's a really important point. These are people that fly into Australia. They've got a, uh, a date at which they must leave, but rather than go... They stay here and claim asylum. Where do they come from? So initially what happened was that in 2014, we had a massive surge of people from Malaysia who organisers had brought to Australia, then got them to apply for asylum. 
and put them to work on farms, construction sites and in sex shops around Australia. We had the biggest labour trafficking scam of that sort ever in our history. I've never seen numbers like that. And as you know, Luke, I've been watching these numbers for 40 years. Yes, you have. We had never seen numbers like that. So we had this huge surge of people trafficked to Australia from Malaysia. And then shortly afterwards, we had a similar surge out of China. And whilst those two surges died during COVID because the borders were closed, so the numbers of those people applying for asylum fell right down, we got to as low as 600 per month, which was the lowest we got to. It's now kicked back up to 1,600 per month. And I reckon pretty soon it'll be over 2,000 per month. But where they're coming from has now spread. Because the backlogs are so big, it's, there's not only just an opportunity for an organiser to do this, but there are people who are opportunistically doing this. Now, I should point out, within the group, there are actually genuine asylum seekers as well. So there's basically three groups. People who've been organised, people who do it opportunistically, and people who are genuine asylum seekers. How do we stop this? Well, I'd experienced similar scams in the late 1990s yep. and the early 2000s. We were able to stop it because we knew it was happening. And before the numbers became too large, what we did was arrange to process the applications very quickly and return the people back to their country of origin. We could do that when the numbers were one or 200. The numbers are now tens and tens and tens of thousands. It's much, much harder to do that once the numbers get that big. Hmm. We know that because once the numbers become very, became very big in the US, once the numbers became very big in Europe, basically the governments just went into paralysis. Yeah. Didn't know what to do. And, yeah. and so didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, let, let me give you a, a, an idea of how big the numbers are. So the total number of asylum seekers in Australia's system, in the whole system now, is just under 100,000. Just over 72,000 of those have been refused at the primary stage, and just under 40,000 have applied to the AAT. And around 30,000 have been refused at the primary stage and at the AAT but still haven't left. So <laughs> other than put an ankle bracelet on or a tracking device or something like that, how do you deal with the 30,000? You've got to find them and then make sure they leave. Can't be easy. That's right. In a big country like Australia, the first thing you've got to do is locate them. Yeah. And the Department of Home Affairs has no money to locate them. The base, home Affairs, for the last six or seven years, basically just stopped locating people. Once you locate the person, you then have to put them into detention and wait until they exhaust any other legal outstanding avenues of appeal they have, and you have to make an arrangement with the country, their home country to receive them. Doing all of that takes a long time. Peter Dutton tried to do that with a famous family, you'll recall. I do recall. And you'll recall how long that took. Yes. And you'll recall how many millions of dollars that took. Yes, yes. Not easy, not easy. No. Is there no way he could have gone or anyone could have gone to wherever they were and said, right, are you on a plane? See, thanks a lot for coming. See you later. Oh, yeah, you have to give people due process. They have rights. And if they put their hand up in respect of their rights, those have to be considered. Now, some people will have few avenues of appeal and they can be removed. But many people, once they've been here a long time, have essentially put down roots. They have connections. They have friends. And, and as a result, actually removing them under those circumstances can be very difficult. Um, you also have to make sure that you have arrangements with the country, their home country, yeah. to receive them. Yeah. And if the home country says, I don't know who this guy is, well, then you're in a long process of trying to work out, well, who is this guy? Mm. Now, talk to me about the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme. 
Palm for short. Is this the visa lottery that we've heard about? No, this is a precursor to the visa lottery. So okay. the Palm scheme is essentially people brought to Australia from the Pacific to work picking fruit and doing farm labouring jobs in Australia. Yep. Under various guises, the scheme has been around for about a decade. And what the government has now announced is that people from the Pacific, whether they're on the Palm scheme or not, we're not I'm not sure because they haven't made that clear yet, mm. will now be able to enter a lottery... And if they meet health and character requirements, if they've got a basic level of English and they have some sort of job offer from an Australian employer, they can enter the lottery. And if they win the lottery, there are 3,000 winners every year who will get a permanent residence visa to Australia. Okay. How would the lottery work? I mean, this could be spectacular. I mean, you could do a draw at the MCG, you know, get someone famous like Hugh Jackman just pulling out names at random and the people are there for a day or a day and a half and, you know, you have a a lunch break and a dinner break and a drinks break. I mean, this could be spectacular. How how the hell do do we choose the winners, do you know? All of the details of this are not yet available. My suspicion is that between the various government agencies, there's a lot of dispute about how this is going to work. Ah, There's a fair amount of concern about it. Let me go back to first principles on this. What the government is trying to do is by providing 3,000 permanent residence places to people from the Pacific, what the government does is create a community of Pacific Islanders in Australia with links back to the Pacific The objective being that we develop a relationship with Pacific Island nations that is so strong that no nation would be able to step in and uh, start doing things in the Pacific that might be a threat to Australia. Yeah. Okay? So this is about diplomacy. Yeah, got And that's what they're trying to achieve, which I don't mind. I mean, if that's the best way of dealing with uh, a threat, and uh, presumably that's the analysis that... Uh, foreign affairs and defence have come to, I I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is this lottery way of doing things because it creates two problems that I don't think the government is addressing. The first is the risk that the people who are here on one of these temporary visas and are hoping to win win a lottery place will be under extreme pressure from the employers they're with to get those employers to give them a job offer when they return to Australia. And that gives the employer extreme power over the worker. And I think that's a real risk in terms of exploitation. So they might trade in terms of their conditions or their salary or whatever it might be. And it's not like we haven't seen that before, particularly in regional communities with recently arrived people. Exactly. And my fear is the level of exploitation that's already going on, where over 5,000 Pacific Islanders have since November 2019 applied for asylum after running away from their employer will exacerbate. It will go up because of the extra power the employer has over the worker. So that's my first concern. This is going to escalate exploitation and we just don't want that. That's not Australia. That happens in the US, happens in Europe, happens in Saudi Arabia and Qatar. It shouldn't happen in Australia. And Australians should be worried when those sorts of risks are being taken. The the second problem is the government is saying the people who get the permanent residence visa, okay, who are able to pass all of that exploitation problem, will then have automatic access to Social Security. They won't have the four-year wait that all other migrants have. They'll be more like humanitarian migrants, 
and they'll have automatic access to Social Security. The costings that the government have done suggests a very large portion of these people will immediately go on to Social Security. That makes no sense to me. No sense. If they've got a job offer, why are so many of them assumed to go on to Social Security? Yeah. Or are the job offers either dodgy or the job offers are in work that no one will ever go back to anyway. You'd have to be mad to go back to those exploitative circumstances. It could be one of those two. I don't know which one the government's assuming. My view is I don't mind what the government's objectives are here. It's the way that it's doing it that's the problem. And I would have two objectives in mind. Minimise the exploitation. And two, don't use a visa lottery, which is just a silly way of selecting future citizens. I mean, it's as silly as it sounds. Rather, put them on a pathway of skills development. You know, help them develop some trade skills. You know, yeah. a farm machinery mechanic or, 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 or a carpenter or a plumber or, or, you know, whatever. Yes. Help them on that pathway. And those ones who are able to successfully develop their skills get selected because they've done so well at developing their skills, yeah. not because you won a bloody lottery. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. You've made that point for many years, I know. All right, mate, loved it to talk again. Uh, always thought-provoking. Don't forget the book Population Shock, a bull Rizvi. Thank you so much for your time. Former uh, Deputy Secretary of the Department of Immigration, I, I won't say I'll speak to you in a while because I know it'll be not long before we have another question that needs answering. Thank you, my friend. Stay well. You too. Good on you, mate.